Welcome to Rapston. The best use of your time. Tonight's show will be about something. Sit tight and Rav will tell you about it soon.
Ravsdom, tonight's show will be about... The damn fourth Chaos Emerald. How is everyone? Thank you for listening to Ravsdom on today's return. It's been a long time. It's been a few months uh, since May, but we are finally live. The song you listened to just before was Rolling Start. A remix uh, from the Vroom album from OC Remix and it was composed by uh, Ben Briggs and uh, Prototype Raptor and there is one very specific reason as to why I started today's show with it that reason is that it is the song that Resident SD always opens late in life with. And Resident SD is today's special guest on Rapsdom. If you remember uh, the original Rapsdom episodes uh, from like about a year ago or something, you must remember that um, we had plenty of guests uh, joining in and telling us their most memorable Sega mem- memories and the songs that they associate with them. So this this is a type of show that plays to people's uh, feelings, so to say. Uh, I remember we have had J.M. Abates, we have had uh, Nicolas Hamans, we have we have had Green Viper 8 memories, uh, including Goddard's as well. And today. It's going to be about uh, Resident SD. If you don't know Resident SD, you should, because it is amazing to have him around on our server. And even if Layton Live really goes on hiatus soon enough, I really hope that uh, Resident SD stays around uh, in our uh, servers, because it's amazing to have him around and to communicate with him. You might also know him as the person who is in charge of the Long Play VGM uh, podcast, which you can find on Twitter uh, by looking for the handle uh, Long Play VGM with no spaces, no underscores, or anything of the sort. Without further ado, I'm going to move on to the show. It was narrated by um, SD himself. So you are only going to hear my voice again in about uh, one hour. Guys, do enjoy. Hello everybody, ResinSD here and you may know me from such shows as the Extreme Gaming Music Podcast from... Sega Ages, from the Sega Jukebox, the Sega Mix, the 
a couple of episodes of Saturday Night Sega I did. But of course, more recently from Long Play and of course from the Sound of Friday Night on Radio Sega, of course, from Late and Live. And um, it is a real pleasure to be asked to share some of my memories of Sega here on the first episode back of Ravsdom. And... Um, Firstly, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't say uh, it's fantastic to have you back on the radio, Rav. There has been a, a Ravsig-sized hole in uh, Tuesday night radio Sega programming, so it's fantastic to have you back. And um, all I can think of is that you very much ran out of people to ask um, to get their memories on the show. It was like, uh, who else is there to do? Um, um well, I guess it's that Resident SD fellow. I guess we get him on. But uh, no, in all seriousness, it's fantastic to be on here and talk a little bit about my uh, my memories of gaming. And one of the sort of common threads that you'll hear as part of this is that gaming music has always been a big part of the memories of, of gaming for me. Um, very much, of course, to this present day, uh, hosting shows on, on on the mighty Radio Sega, which is uh, which is fantastic and. Um, Certainly, uh, in terms of gaming, uh, as a lot of you will know, uh, my starting gaming came with the Commodore 64 back in the day. That was the first machine uh, I ever had. And this may be a controversial viewpoint, I, I, I don't know, but um, certainly one of the things that, that I think of looking back on um, the Commodore 64 is most of the best games were kind of games that were made for the system rather than... Um, such like arcade port for example which is where you'd expect um the the sega related uh, games to come from and um because of that really um i can't recall playing a huge amount of of sega games um back when uh, when i was younger it was um the games like i don't know like the like the dizzy series and i certainly remember fast food if anybody remembers that it was a really sort of cool um sort of sort of pac-man-esque sort of puzzle game um that i really liked and um i mean what, what sort of other games really uh, on the commodore 64 i mean um games like stunt car racer which was a really really cool game and certainly for me one of the best commodore 64 um versions of a game that you could get on a different platform i certainly uh, liked playing that one compared to the amiga version uh even and um certainly liked uh, my football games when uh, I was younger. Things like Micro Soccer was really good. Uh, Manchester United Europe was a game that I really liked uh, as well, which is really strange because I'm very much not a Manchester United fan. And um, there's only really one Sega game that I can think of that um, I played quite a lot of as a youngster. But before we get into that, there's certainly worth talking about the sort of the gaming related part of this obviously uh, pretty well known from people listening to my shows before but i love the music of the commodore 64 and the commodore 64 kind of had that strength over other 8-bit systems at the time because if you listen to music from the spectrum or the amstrad cpc they were both very sort of basic compared to the same chip in the commodore 64 the the mighty sid chip of course and that was utilised in a lot of different ways. I mean, one of the uh, one of the things that I um, I really liked about the Commodore sixty four uh, was done kind of because of a disadvantage of the system. Because uh, here in the in the UK and I think in a lot of Europe, um, we use cassettes as the primary medium to play games on these systems. Now, whereas the Spectrum was relatively fast at loading games and also the Amstrad was too the Commodore 64 was an absolute pig when it came to loading times it was really really um, really slow loading times and also as well one of the things that Commodore elected to do differently on the Commodore 64 compared to the Spectrum and the Amstrad CPC is that you couldn't actually hear the tape noise uh, when they were loading and this was certainly a real surprise to me when I got older when um, I found out that when um, uh, people had spectrums loaded their games 
all they heard was this and, and, and stuff like that when they're waiting for it to load. That was a real surprise to me because what I got to hear when uh, games were loading was the epic tunes of the SID chip, including things like the Ocean Loader series, which um, we played a Peter Clark track on uh, Late and Live a few weeks ago. And he made Ocean Loader number three, which is my favourite version of that loader. So um, the, the music chip in the Commodore 64 was certainly utilised for a lot of different things. And certainly as well... Uh, I actually own this now, but um, for the particular game that I'm going to talk about from the Sega point of view that um, that I did play quite a bit of, um, this particular soundtrack um, came with the arcade music on cassette. So you could play that while you're actually playing the game. But the thing is, why the hell would you want to do that? Because this particular game had some fantastic music and it was, of course, the classic Sega racing game, Outrun. Now, the Commodore 64 version of Outrun is by far, uh, sorry, is is nowhere near the best version that you can play on uh, the 8-bit micros. Uh, in fact, it doesn't have any of the branching paths. So, obviously, for those of you who don't know, one of the signature aspects of Outrun is that you get to an end of a level and you can either go left or right. And if you go left, it's an easier level. Go right, it's a hard level. And then over five levels, that gives gives you um, sort of five different difficulty levels of uh, the final level that you can play through. Uh, no branching paths on the Commodore 64 version. You just get to a certain point, you go around two corners, and then the background colour changes. And of course, it's a very, very basic version compared to the uh, the arcade version, but I certainly put a lot of time uh, into playing it. It was a lot of fun, and the music was pretty fantastic too. <laughs>
I'd had the Commodore 64 for a few years and I was given the choice by my parents to either get a disk drive for my Commodore 64 or to get a Commodore Amiga and um, I elected to go for the Amiga at an A600 which is the, uh, then was upgraded to an A1200 and certainly thinking of the sort of Sega part of the memories again I can't really think of many sort of Sega games that I played on um, on the Amiga certainly the quality of the arcade ports um, were improving a little bit here and you could get a much better representation of uh, arcade games in uh, in the home environment on one of these 16-bit computers but the thing is is that a lot of the ports weren't particularly that great i don't think that's necessarily the reason why i didn't play them it was just it's kind of playing a different sort of uh, game at that time i mean certainly from um the um the, the Amiga days um, and uh, Casey actually played this as part of his Antstream Arcade um, uh, streams over on his Twitch channel a few weeks ago um, but certainly remember games like Zool 2 Zool 2 is a fantastic game on the Amiga which I really liked and also had an amazing uh, soundtrack that I uh, really really enjoyed uh, games like Sensible World of Soccer um, were, were fantastic I mentioned Games like Micropro Soccer and um, Stunt Car Racer that had um, uh, improved versions on uh, those platforms. Um, Pinball Fantasies was certainly a game that um, stood out for me. A uh, One of the best pinball games uh, that you can play. And again, with a, a fantastic uh, soundtrack, which absolutely loved um in terms of um a game that i used to enjoy playing with my friends is things like worms um which originated on the amiga and was just it was it was kind of a, a very weird game for the time we'd never really really had anything like it you know uh, i say not anything like it we had weird games like you know cannon fodder and uh, its its version of uh, of war has never been so much fun which was a very very strange tagline but uh, something that they went with but um yeah having these different worms that you can you know fire things at the opposition and, and to try and kill them it was a, a very very strange game on some very very strange um levels as well that you could play on it was uh, it was weird but and certainly of course the worms uh, series has continued over time but um certainly got a soft spot for the uh the original and um what sort of other games were there as as well um i mean certainly that was the point where i started to get into uh, to racing games which is probably my favorite genre of uh, of games um certainly through my time playing with things like Grand Prix 2, which was a uh, fantastic game. Got a uh, got a mention from Lewis Hamilton after the Eiffel Grand Prix uh, that he won. He mentioned Grand Prix 2, and when I uh, when I heard that, it's like, yeah, um, w- whenever I watch the Monaco Grand Prix on, on TV, I, I sort of weirdly see the graphics of Grand Prix 2 on the Amiga, which um, slightly lower detail than um, Sky Sports in ultra high definition, uh, shall we say, on the uh, the Amiga version. But I, but I sort of still see when you come out of the tunnel and and you go downhill and into that uh, that chicane that left right chicane I, I still weirdly see the uh, amiga graphics on that one it's uh, it, it it's it's very very weird how certain things like that uh, that stay with you but um, yeah grand prix 2 and uh, super skid marks as well the aga version of that was uh, fantastic graphically um, for the time and you got the, uh, the the Lotus uh, games, Lotus Challenge games that were uh, that were fantastic. Uh, I didn't play Jaguar XJ220 though. That was for a um, for a later stage because while um, while this was going on and I had the um, the, the Amiga, um, I, I also had uh, the Mega Drive uh, as well. I was quite lucky, really, in the fact that I was able to have uh, the Commodore Amiga and play those games. But then also 
have a console uh, as well and uh, my first console was the uh, the Sega Mega Drive and that kind of started the the, the love affair for for Sega and the and the Sega consoles really and um playing a few more a few more Sega games not only um certain sort of arcade games like you know your your Altered Beasts and uh, and and Outrun as well Outrun saw a return but then also of course because Sega were now putting more resources into making kick-ass games on the platform and um that was where a lot of the memories that I still sort of keep to this day started to um, started to permeate and bubble up with uh, things like the Streets of Rage series, which I just absolutely love and and played uh, played a hell of a lot of on uh, on the Mega Drive. Games like the Columns series, which are, which I love, Super Hang On, uh, which I played on the uh, on the Mega Drive, and um, there was a certain Blue Hedgehog as well. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. Like you know, runs around pretty fast. Um, that um, that I, I absolutely loved um, the original Sonic game, uh, which I had. Uh, and then weirdly, there was a problem with my original Mega Drive, uh, which uh, meant it had to be replaced. Um, my Mega Drive was the one that had the original Sonic the Hedgehog with it. Um, it had to be replaced, and then when I had a new one, it ended up having uh, Sonic 2. If I remember rightly, it was actually the power supply went, but for some reason, the whole Mega Drive had to be replaced. I'm not sure why that was. It was a bit of a... Obviously, a bit of a waste, really, to uh, scrap a whole console just because the power supply was a bit knackered, but uh, but there you go. Uh, and end up with Sonic 2 in the, um, in, in the the uh, with the replacement. And then... Um, the best game of all time, Sonic 3, and then could only play four zones of it because of that damn barrel. <laughs> so, uh, and and I know a lot of people were like, well, I don't really understand why you uh, why you had a problem, but I was one of the people who had a problem with the barrel and just couldn't work it out. And uh, the only reason that I could ever play Ice Cap and hear its amazing music is because of the level select cheat, which, of course, was the most difficult of any of the... Um, the sort of the, the the four you could say the Sonic, Sonic Two, Sonic Three, and Sonic and Knuckles. It had the most difficult level select of all of them, which is bloody typical, as it was the one that I actually needed to uh, to play later, uh, play later levels. And certainly, they made it a lot easier in Sonic and Knuckles. And of course, if you locked Sonic Three on Sonic and Knuckles, then you get a slightly easier level select as well uh, in in that case. But um, yeah, I I was done by uh, by the Sonic Three Barrel of Doom.
listening to Ravstorm. The greatest show you could ask for. And it was in this period that my um, my sort of love of video game music start to really flourish and um, I've kind of mentioned this uh, before on the radio, but uh, I had a, a Fisher-Price cassette deck. It was a, a yellow monstrosity that um, had a built-in microphone, and it was sort of in this period that, that myself and my friends would kind of make songs around the music that was in our, uh, our favourite games. So um, you kind of get the game going on the TV, and then either via the same test normally or via in-game if you had to, you'd then... Uh, in some cases just record the music in fact um, I remember Beatnik on the Ship um, from Streets of Rage was essentially an instrumental that was on the uh, on the album but in the very last bit at the end I would say a ship and that was basically a song you know that that was that was the vocal prowess on that particular track but then um, other ones would have a bit more in terms of sort of sort of vocals to them I remember there was a um, a a, a quite um, a quite deep for a probably like ten year old uh, on this one. A quite um, a deep sort of version uh, of lyrics that went over the top of the bad ending theme to, uh, to to Streets of Rage. Now there is good news and bad news when it comes to some of these tracks. The good news is I have all the tapes. The bad news is you ain't ever going to get to hear any of them. However. The, uh, the the track that uh, we're going to play next is uh, the theme of Wrestle War, and what I want you to try and do is, av- as you listen to the main melody of this track, just think to yourself over the top of it. Get ready for the Wrestle War. Think of that while you hear the melody to this track.
was kind of quite lucky during the fourth generation of uh, the video game consoles because, um, I, as I say, I had the, the Mega Drive. I was lucky enough to get a, a Mega CD2, so got to play things like Sonic CD firsthand and and Cobra Command and Soul Feast and where some of the Mega Drive games I mentioned uh, before, uh, where they actually came from, is from the... Uh, from the uh, the arcade classic CD that came with the uh, with the Mega CD, and um, I, I also had the Mass System Converter uh, as well, uh, the original one. So I uh, got to play a lot of uh, a lot of Master System games, which is why I'm not only blighted by the memories of the barrel, but also by the hand guiders in Sonic 2 on the Master System. But uh, quite lo- quite lucky that uh, got to play a few. Um, few mass system games of his mega cd games and uh, and obviously the mega drive now uh, I, I i didn't get a mega uh, sorry a 32x even though i very much wanted one and then kind of after that um the the next generation was a bit of a um a blind spot for me in terms of console gaming because uh, i didn't have a saturn or a, a PlayStation or a, a Nintendo 64 because of sort of some changes in uh, in my family life at that point where it wasn't really possible. But I did have a PC, so um, uh, most of that um, sort of time was uh, playing uh, PC games. And uh, certainly, I remember having the um, not not a sort of a Sega game per se, but uh, a game that is very well known because of a Sega console. Is I had the 3D version of Road Rash, which was. Um, amazing really um the the, the jump from um the 16-bit um system to the 32-bit and then also um the increase in the graphical power of pcs was 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 such a massive jump now looking back, back on it um, i i don't have a particularly great opinion on uh, that particular generation because uh, the games haven't really aged that well you look at a a playstation uh, original playstation game uh, uh, certainly the 3d ones anyway and with the saturn as well they just haven't particularly aged very well whereas a lot of 16 game 16 bit games still look fantastic and uh, also as well if you look at some of the 2D games that were on the Saturn, they look amazing, but because uh, 2D games were very much not the thing to be done at that point. But but still, actually at the time, it was it was it was amazing to say look games like Road Rash were, were incredible. But I did have a few um, Sega PC titles, things like um, Virtual Cop. Uh, I remember having. I had the Sonic and Knuckles collection, but I couldn't play it because I just didn't like the music. Uh, and it's amazing how that has come back to sort of haunt me in a way because I was like, oh, I'm not playing bloody Carnival Night. The music is terrible. And yet now since the Sonic 3 prototype has come out, I love the um, the YM2612 uh, version of the uh, of the music from uh, from Carnival Night. It's uh, it's kind of incredible. But um, the uh, the sort of then the change after that was um, in. In 1999, when I was uh, 16 years old, I, I got a job, and then uh, I actually had money to be able to buy my own consoles. And the first console that I bought was, of course, the mighty Sega Dreamcast, and it came with uh, came with four different games, if I can remember what they are. So uh, it was Toy Racer was certainly one of them. It was Choo Choo Rocket, and I can't remember for the life of me what the third one was. It was definitely a four-game pack that I bought from... Uh, it was Electronic Boutique, as it was in the UK at that point. Of course, now part of the game. And um, I can't remember the third game. But I certainly remember the fourth game. And being a, a, a massive Sonic fan, there is absolutely no way that um, 
I wasn't going to get as part of my Sega Dreamcast Sonic Adventure.
grabs them. Whatever Raph feels like. I won't let you humans interfere with my plans. Only on Radio Sega. I think like a lot of Sega fans, I was quite shocked and, you know, in some ways a little bit uh, upset and, and, and fearful for the future of um, my, my love of gaming when um, Sega announced that they were going to stop creating consoles and then become a third-party developer. And you sort of think, well, are, are we going to lose something from this great, um, this great company that uh, has been kind of an important part of my, of my gaming life? at that point and uh, it was also weird as well i I certainly remember going to um a a branch of uh, the computer exchange which was a a game shop in birmingham that um i loved going to because they had uh, a great section on uh, what was well i mean they're retro now but what was certainly retro at that point with uh saturn games and and, and Mega Drive and Mass System and, and stuff like that. And I remember that they had a copy of the Japanese version of Sonic Advance. And that was just so weird seeing um, seeing Sonic on a on a Nintendo console. So it was kind of it was a weird time seeing um, certainly the um, I, I was part of the cra- uh, the playground battles with my uh, Super Nintendo owning friends of like oh you know well Sega's rubbish you know you want a Nintendo and obviously I was you know, saying the other it's like no nah, no nah, Nintendo's rubbish you want a Sega and then suddenly you've got Sonic the um, the poster child of Sega in the 90s suddenly showing up on Nintendo console and then of course we had uh, Crazy Taxi was the big um, uh, first major release across the Xbox and the GameCube and the PlayStation 2 and then uh, obviously we had the Sonic Adventure uh, Sonic Adventure 2 Battle being released on the GameCube and um, other games started to appear on, on other consoles by the way um, if you're thinking the computer exchange that sounds uh, I've never heard of them but it sounds familiar to another shop Indeed, they did change their name to CEX, and um, the computer exchange that I went into back in um, around about the year 2000 was certainly much smaller. It had a list of all the branches on the bags, and there were uh, there were two branches in London, including a retro gaming um, uh, shop on Tottenham Court Road, which I very much wanted to go to, and I'm pretty sure I've now been to it. However, it is now just a normal branch of CEX, because that's what... Uh, computer exchange became by the way so uh, yeah it was certainly a much smaller operation uh, to begin with and, and now there's one basically everywhere you know there's there's um i think there's three in the uh, in the dudley borough now whereas uh, back in the day uh, you had to go to birmingham to actually go to one but um yeah it was certainly a very very strange time but um i uh, i bought a gamecube and um was kind of quite happy with that really got to play some of the nintendo games of the time um which I was a little bit behind on because, as I say, not really playing much in terms of the Super Nintendo or Nintendo 64 and stuff like that. So got to play uh, my first 3D uh, platformer from Mario, which was um, uh, Mario Sunshine, of course. Uh, and then, of course, playing um, some great Sega games like uh, F-Zero GX, which was uh, fantastic. Uh, the Sonic games, of course. And... Um, 
One of my favourite games on the GameCube, despite the fact that I am totally crap at it. And one of the reasons why I like this game particularly is that um, there was starting to get a lot of complexity uh, in games. We went from uh, the Competition Pro joysticks of the Commodore 64 with its one button, and then the Master System and the NES with its two buttons, and then you had the, the Mega Drive with its three or six buttons, and then the, the PlayStation's got eight buttons, and then you get in... Uh, you know, uh, digital controls and analog sticks and all sorts of stuff. So, this particular game from uh, Amusement Visions and Sega said, well, what actually happens if we just do away with the need for buttons altogether and just control the character with an analog stick? The, uh, the GameCube and I had an Xbox as well um, during that particular generation which kind of led to the Xbox 360 and like a lot of people I had about a million Xbox 360s uh, some of those to do with the uh, the Red Ring of Death but also uh, I, I did actually upgrade them a few times because I had the original Xbox 360 which didn't have HDMI if you remember despite being a HD console um, but um I, I used the VGA input on it because um, my, uh, my my Nintendo Wii ended up being on the compute uh, the component uh, connection, so uh, it was quite good actually to use the VGA for that. And then uh, upgraded to uh, the Xbox 360 Elite because that was the first one that had HDMI input and. Um Got into online gaming a bit uh, more at that time, um, which was uh, certainly while you could, of 
course, play uh, games online on the Dreamcast. Uh, and, and I certainly did a bit of Quake 3 Arena online and uh, Choo Choo Rocket and, and stuff, which was certainly a lot of fun. Uh, it, it became a lot more to the fore in the Xbox 360 uh, era, despite, of course, also being possible, possible on the Xbox as well. But... Um, really came to the fore with uh, much better integration into the console and uh, and just a lot more games really that uh, that, that, that supported it and uh, Xbox Live Arcade as well uh, allowed for a lot of the Sega memories that I'd had from the past to to be rekindled with of course re-releases of games like the old Sonic games uh, yeah yeah there was there was a re-release of Sonic 3 how about that eh that's uh, that, that's a crazy idea in 2020 but uh, yes that was a thing back in the day and um Releases of all sorts of say classic franchises, including uh, new versions of games like uh, Daytona USA, which I could finally get to play online because uh, those of us in Europe could not play Daytona USA 2001 online because they took it out in our version. Only the Americans got to play that. And uh, uh, as you can tell, um, I've definitely forgiven and forgotten about that, and I'm still not salty about it. So that's uh, so that's good. And. Um, of course, online versions of things like uh, like Outrun as well uh, were available on the Xbox 360, and uh, some good versions of Outrun. A lot of love Outrun mentioned on my particular memories, but uh, yeah, love the Outrun games. And so the Outrun 2, Outrun 2006 um, were, were were fantastic versions of uh, of the Outrun games. And um, my sort of love of racing games really came to a lot more of a fore uh, in this uh, generation because while I had played things like Metropolis Street Racer, which I loved on the Dreamcast, and uh, and its continuation as the uh, the Project Gotham theory, series. Um, played a lot more racing games uh, in this particular generation with things like the Forza series, which were which are fantastic. And uh, the game that um, series that one of my favourites I love was the Burnout series. Uh, Burnout 1 and 2 were fantastic games and then uh, under the guise of, uh, of, of EA um, and the, uh, the things like the takedown mechanic was given a new lease of life with Burnout 3. And it was actually... Um, Part of the, um, the the sort of the beta to a Burnout Paradise was how um, I kind of got into gaming music radio because uh, I was friends with a guy called Thrungus who ran uh, the TFMX network at that time, and uh, we sort of you know played online quite a lot, and we were playing the, um, the the demo, the beta to Burnout Paradise, and that was where the conversation of doing a gaming music show kind of kind of came from because I still love gaming music all through that time and um would sort of like download tracks and uh, and, and and things like that off the internet and and various dodgy uh, pirate uh, file sharing services that exist at the time because there just wasn't a legal way of doing it back in those days so um but yeah um uh, i ended up hosting the um the xgm podcast uh, on tfmx the extreme gaming music podcast we did 50 episodes of that back in uh, in 2008 and that was kind of the beginning of my video game music journey and how did the first episode of xgm begin well of course with the best track from sonic cd
Follow Radio Sega on Switch. It'll be worth it. Watch people flail around while trying to play Sega games. Now I've known uh, Sega Mark for many years as part of um, the the days of Yahoo Chat. Certainly, the the youngsters uh, won't remember this, but uh, web chat was a big thing in the early two thousands. And uh, I came across uh, Sega Mark and got on with him uh, pretty well. Uh, it's also where I uh, met Virtua, who is uh, a listener of. Um, pretty much all of my shows uh, throughout the uh, the ages um we sort of used to chat uh, back in the day and um we both had rom sites um because as i say it was kind of the wild west in terms of um the early days of the internet it was like we have this way of distributing content and none of the big guys are going to do it so we're going to do it so uh, and there was quite a lot of that obviously in terms of big thing in terms of the music sharing but also uh, in terms of roms for retro gaming systems because emulators were very much a thing and it was like well let's let's make a site where we can distribute these roms so uh, so uh, mark had um, kidders roms and i had uh, fx emulation and fx classic gaming which were very sort of basic in terms what well, well mine were anyway marks were certainly better than, uh, than mine uh, and that kind of got me into into web de- uh, development um, which is something that i still do uh, to this day as part of my day job um but then also as well um so got me friends with uh, with being sega mark and uh, with sega mark sorry and um he he launched uh, his my sega website in uh, in 2007 and added a radio section to it and you know just stuck a few mp3s of sega music on a shoutcast server and see if people liked it and it got him retro gamer um, which was uh, amazing to uh, to think of back in the day after it's renamed to radio sega and then um in 2010 we started um we started live shows and um Certainly, we haven't really looked back since then. I'm very, very proud of the quality of the work that uh, not only that, that that I did back of the day, but also um, of, of other DJs as well uh, on the station. Certainly, uh, a class above anything else you would hear on other internet radio stations at that time. And I think that's something that's um, certainly continued um, to this day. And um, it's certainly been a, a fantastic pleasure to be part of Radio Sega's journey. A, a very sort of small part of it, certainly uh, the work that, that Sega Mark and uh, Forever Sonic and Gavi and Casey and Green Vibe 8 have done a part of, of, of their tenures running uh, Radio Sega has been monumental to take it from this, you know, this little tiny Radio Sega, uh, this little tiny uh, radio station to just an amazing community with um, pretty much live shows every day of the week which there are commercial radio stations in the UK that put out less live programming than Radio Sega does which is just just amazing and um, it's also great for me to be back on the air as well after a very very long time uh, of being away the final episode of Late and Live on Radio Sega was back in uh, November of 2012 before this year so um 
to be back presenting the show and to have done at the time of recording how many episodes of uh, Light and Life we've done what are we up to uh, 28 episodes of the show we've done this year we've got another another 7 to go before the end of the season but um, but yeah it's been fantastic being back on the air and also fantastic uh, to be asked to um, present some of my memories of Sega and gaming and also a little bit of my sort of Radio Sega story here uh, on, on Ravsdom so um, thank you very much for inviting me on Ravsdom and um, all the best for the show throughout the coming weeks. I certainly will be listening. Thanks, guys.
was it. And just like in the beginning, a massive thank you to uh, Resident SD for all the time and effort he put into uh, essentially making this an extremely easy comeback show for me. Uh, so all I pretty much all I did was set up the playlist and hit play, and Resident SD's uh, narration and um, song choices uh, just played on their own. Uh, there was little for me to do, and that's actually for a good reason because uh, we can never have too much Resident SD. And yeah, so people were discussing on Discord just a couple of minutes ago that uh, no one exactly knows what you were up to on your uh, period, a five-year period that you were not on Radio Sega. And the truth is, I think I do definitely believe that I speak on behalf of everyone when I say that uh, we really hope that you are on Radio Sega to stay because um, the community is much better just by having your, your presence around. So yeah, so thanks a lot for everything. Thanks a lot for all the companionship and all the chats on, on Discord and for your uh, great late and live shows, which, by the way, you can listen to on Radio Sega live on... Um, Fridays at 10pm British time, correct me if I'm wrong and yeah Ravzam is going to be back next week meanwhile we are going to get right now a pre-recorded glitch episode where Gavi plays music from and talks about the Amiga games Amiga uh, from Sega of course uh, or at least I presume this is not set in stone so yeah guys thanks a lot next week uh, there will pr probably be a lot more of myself so yeah so you've got to put up with that <laughs> unfortunately for you uh, and guys enjoy glitch thanks a lot everyone <laughs>